Hello, welcome adventurers to the Travelogue, a podcast in which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons & Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We'll go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions on what type of encounters you can run in an area, or what type of character you can create whose background is based in an area. This week, we're covering the North Ward of Waterdeep. Lily, what's your favorite? Oh, they're secretly, uh blank in D&D that either you've done or is in the lore? Well, I think vampire and dragon are the classic ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, like, people are going to be like, oh, those are overdone, blah, 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 blah. But, like, even with them being overdone, I think if you can pull them off as a DM, then they're they always pay off. Especially, like, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to pull off the vampire one just because, you know, like, maybe if we weren't all, like, I don't know if every group is like this, but our group tends to really like vampires. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like with our group it'd be really hard. You'd just be like, huh, we've run into this person twice and only at night. Vampire. Right, yeah. But imagine if I did pull it off. Y'all would freak <laughs> out because you'd be like, how did we not see this coming? Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. And the dragon, dragon is just classic and it's just... Dragon's a hard one. It's a bit easier to pull off. Yeah, it's a hard one to parse down, like to put your finger on because like they can be anyone. Yeah, exactly. Especially like chromatic dragons who just, a lot of them have the innate ability. It's not even a spell. Right. Because I mean, metallic. Chromatic dragons would have to be using polymorph or whatever, but of course, you know, they're all ancient spellcasters, so why not? Mm. But the metallic, they can just do it. So like... Why the heck not? But I still think it's, I still think it's a classic yeah. that I think every D&D party should encounter someday in their adventures where it's just, you know, halfway through your relationship with this person all of a sudden they're like oh yeah by the way 120 foot cone of fire and you're like oh shit (laughs) what (laughs) yep 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 yep. yeah i'm i'm like a fiend like constantly if i can find anything that has like true sight or uh, a reflection of true sight or anything i'm like give it to me i want to know what everything (laughs) is i want to know the truth i think secret demon is also cool Mm. but i think Mm -hmm. for secret demon personally or secret devil it's got to be one that is both iconic in D &D and irl right so that like by now with y'all i could pull off you know grats right yeah because everyone knows who he is but like nobody knows who the fuck fur ablu is right he's the second strongest third he's the third strongest demon prince but no one knows who he is but you don't have to know any of the lore in world for you to know who Mephistopheles is. Yeah, if yeah, exactly. So you just and like maybe people know Pazuzu. Yeah, but it's just I don't know. Like Mephistopheles is like a real world devil. Yeah, you know. So you hear that name and you're just like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. So I think like secret Mephistopheles would be really cool too. I think it'd be cool playing like a Theros campaign, and then you could have like secret gods too. Like you know, if you, I guess I don't, I haven't really read through the Ferris campaign book, but like Greek gods would always pretend to be people. Yeah, true. Like ducks, whatever. True, true. (laughs) Depending on the god, you could still pull it off in Ferris, I think. True, true. North Ward is the quietest ward of the city. This district is home to most of Waterdeep's wealthier middle classes and lesser noble families. It is an area of quiet neighborhoods dominated by private walled noble villas. Little of interest meets the visitor's eye, but local talk says much plotting and partying goes on behind closed doors in this reach of the city, intrigue that affects trade, wars, and wealth as far away as they. Yet, unless you come to the city already in the know as a member of this or that guild, cabal, merchant alliance, or underground network, there's actually little in North Ward for you to see. Aside from folks strolling to and from their homes or private parties, this area particularly shuts down at dusk. Watch patrols are frequent, but are polite and lightly armed. Rowdiness and street violence of any sort is not tolerated in this ward, unless one of the nobles or well-dressed are drunk. Those who engage in such activities are quickly and roughly handled by the city watch. This ward is where new money who wish to rub elbows with the nobles of Sea Ward will move. It is too exclusive to enter the Sea Ward, but the North Ward is still accessible for a high price. Yeah, I grew up in the Burbs. <laughs> yeah. Grew up in the Burbs, you know, the Burbs. Yeah, it's it's very much like, because yeah, that, that's kind of like what I got from all my readings is like Sea Ward is like old money. Like most elves have their property in Sea Ward because they've owned it 
forever. Yeah. But like North Ward is like, eh, yeah, you could still get property there if you're rich. You you could still like go there. There's no chance you're going to see Ward unless you inherit it or marry into it. Yeah, I feel like this would be the place where you would run into like the type of swashbucklers who aren't actual swashbucklers. And I don't mean swashbucklers in the sense of, you know, what we've come to know, seafaring, you know, rakish, right. rakishly handsome sword fighter. I mean, like, you know, back in the Renaissance where the term came from, the when you weren't allowed actual weapons and arms in the city, but you were allowed uh, small swords and bucklers, and they would, right, they would right. swash the sword on the buckler making an intimidating sound and that's where the term swashbuckler comes from because they would buckle that's cool did not know yeah they would swash their buckle um to be intimidating Mm -hmm. and these were mostly gangs of young men right and so i feel like the north ward is where you would run into a lot of these like kind of privileged young men who are you know they're in that stage of their life where they want to assert their dominance Mm. but they can't go down to the dock ward and do it because that's where the real that's where the real crime is. Yeah, you know, this is where you'd find like the petty lesser noble gangs who yeah. try and rob people. They bully people, and if you fight back, yeah, they'll probably put up a decent fight. Even just the noble stat block is decent for a low level party. But ultimately, they're gonna lose the fight, and you're gonna get in trouble because they're rich, mm. and you didn't yeah. know they were rich, <laughs> or you did because they come up right away and they're like, oi, oi. <laughs> Oi, poor blood. Oi, poor blood. Swashes their buckler. What you doing? Oi? What you doing in this part of town, oi? Oi? This is where you'd run into um, the Clockwork Orange group. Yeah, right, right. Maybe a, maybe in your D&D campaign a little less messed up, but... Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I like that idea. Yeah, I, I was on board, too, with, like, you saying swashbucklers and thinking the kind of pirate term in the way of, like, I could see a lot of adventurers who make, who make it rich who like are like you know what I've had good run and I want to retire in Waterdeep probably end up in the North Ward you know yeah I can see that yeah I think this is also where the Black Viper the I think this is where she does most of her vigilanteism for listeners yes I think I think so Black Viper is Waterdeep's resident Batman <laughs> <laughs> yeah you always need one I might mention her somewhere but yeah Black Viper is, uh, is active here as well which yep yeah, makes sense in this area like. Definitely where it's going to be like high collar crime that maybe the watch, uh, the guards aren't going to uh, react to. Yeah, I feel like this is the ward where you walk down the street and you get hassled by a little group of, you know, people too big for their britches, testing the waters, uh, throwing their weight and gold around. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go to the guards and the guards are like, nah, you're the ones we'd be picking on. That kid, that kid's dad. <laughs> you, you know who that kid's dad is? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, damn it, they stole my ring. <laughs> The Raging Lion is a little-known, fine old inn, dominated by dark wood paneling, thick but worn carpets underfoot everywhere, and a strict rule against open flame of any sort, including smoking. It is a quiet refuge from the bustle of the city, being as close to the east wall as one can get. Light is provided by an assortment of glowing globes of different hues. Dwarves and at least three bands of adventurers have adopted this place. Some live here permanently, helping the prior keep order, and others use it as a base between expeditions into the northern sword coast. The sword maidens, in particular, are an impressive sight as they stride through the halls and dine room in full armor. All rooms have their own bath and guard robe. The ground floor is given over to kitchens and dining room where one can choose between beef, pork, or goat stew. Each either highly spiced as favored in the south or moderately seasoned. Messages, coins, gems, weapons, and other valuable objects are often stuck wedged or fitted into recesses there for someone to pick up at a later time. Two dwarves seem to live in the dining room, wheeling little chains and lock mechanisms from various exotic woods and sipping beer as they while each day away. It is believed they take messages from dwarves to pass on to other dwarves who come here to find them. Their names are Ilmarin and Jerilun. For a price of a beer, they will tell you of a curious cult embraced by some nobles of Waterdeep that once used this inn as a place of worship. Their temple still exists as a cellar now crowded with casks, potatoes, and mushroom frames, and the like. But it was once a place of frenzied dancing and sacrificial offerings to Cambadlan, the black tortoise of night. This is the origin of the seldom-heard water demon oaths by the black tortoise, 
and by the shell of Cam Badlan. The cult is now extinct, yet something of its dark and dangerous mystery still clings to this old place. And the Holy Hands House is a halfling owned in a multi-denominational temple to non-human races in response to the plinth's place in the city's human-centric pantheon. The Holy Hands have been a bastion for non-humans of Waterdeep, and a small community of rich non-humans have sprung up around it. There's the Pentinence Forge that specializes in non-human armors and a non-human fest hall as well. So, real quick, I would probably say Yerloon. Right, right, right. Just because I always think dwarves as, like, Yerloon. you know, kind of uh, that makes sense. Scottish, that makes sense. but also a little bit Norse. It's Ilmarin and Yerloon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just personal preference for my dwarves, though. Um, I know, I think... I don't know if it's D&D as a whole or if it's at Greenwood. They like the hard J, I've noticed. There's been quite a few NPCs I've looked into where I thought it was, you know, Yarlaxel, right. but then it's Jarlaxel. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> D&D seems to like the hard Js. That being said, Cambodland is nothing. <laughs> this doesn't exist. It only shows up in this Volo's The guy. Black Tortoise of the Night? <laughs> of Night? <laughs> Like, it's, it's, it's nowhere yeah, else. No. It's only in this Volo's Guide. It's not a creature. It's not a demon. <laughs> it's nothing. But that's cool. That leaves it entirely up to you to decide what it is. I think the Black Tortoise of Night is silly yeah. and ridiculous. But that might be good for a low-level party. Mm-hmm. Have some silly, ridiculous demon that had a cult because it was making the nobles think it was like an archdemon, but it's actually, uh, you know, like an imp. Yeah. Yeah, it could be fun. I think the best use of this raging lion... First of all, why would anyone go there? Just looking at the map, there's a whole bunch of other taverns, (laughs) and the place doesn't allow fire at all. In our campaign, Sigrid would only go to this place. Yeah, Sigrid would be like 10 out of 10. Great. Love it. Yeah. Sigrid has a fear of fire in our current campaign. Yeah. But otherwise, I don't see any reason why you would go to this place over anywhere else. But I think it'd be really fun if you had a dwarf character... And your party goes to this tavern and these two dwarves misidentify your player as someone else mm. and starts giving them information. Right. Like waves them over to sit down and they start talking and then they go, wait, fuck, I totally forgot. What's your name? And your player's like, oh, my name's Hadvir. And the dwarves are like, Hadvir? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> We were look. We were we were looking for a Horvak. Forget it. Forget what I said. Yeah, exactly. Nothing. Forget what I said. And then you know maybe your players <laughs> like, well, I don't. I don't want to forget what you just said. I could be Horvak. Yeah, that sounds kind of interesting, actually. <laughs> I could be Horvak. It's a good way to give a quest hook without giving your player a quest hook. Yeah, yeah, I like that. A lot. You know, because yeah, you just give them the beginning of it. The two dwarves tell your dwarf to fuck off. Yeah. And then it's up to it's up to your party. It's up to the dwarf. The dwarf can try and bribe them for the rest of the information or just try and investigate based off that little uh, misidentified Tidbit. banter. Yeah, and if they end up, like, just not taking the bait, then it's like, okay, cool, you didn't waste your time on that spell, you know, the quest, you know? But, like, yeah. yeah, it's a good way of, like, bringing them in. I mean, then later, if you want, you can have Harvac, the one that your dwarf was mistaken for, uh get moderately famous maybe shows up in a broadsheet yeah yeah it's great and your players are like damn it we could have done that (laughs) let's go find those guys and pay them money to give us a quest so we can get in a broadsheet like our back and yeah i like holy hands house it's it's i don't know i I imagine i've never played one but i imagine if you play a cleric of a non-human deity and you're going to the city you're like okay well you know i guess i'm screwed like only if we go to a halfling village will i like go meet other followers of my religion or something it's nice to have the option of meeting other people and like having a bit more role play options just not not just the like lethanderites in every single town or something yeah i think oh my gosh going on this interactive map this is a bit of a side note mm-hmm. everyone listening once again aided double d dot org interactive map fantastic for running water deep there are so many noble villas in this section of the city yeah yeah, baby. Yeah. yeah, we're I was like not gonna talk about them. Yeah, I was like we'll talk about them in Seaward kind of, but yeah, we're not gonna talk about them. I was like, what is the orange dot? I haven't seen that yet. There's so many. And it's just like Nandar Villa, Albrinter Villa, Massaland Villa, Langolin Villa. Yeah, and like if you get the two E City of Splendor book, it has all of these not all of these, but it has many of the the noble houses. It has a crest for each one of them. Uh, and it gives you a rundown of like what their major trade is. 
so you can if you get the 2e city of splendor book um you can totally get that and so i think it's in who's who of Waterdeep uh in the box set but uh yeah we will cover that in seaward a couple of them but really it ends up being like here's a name and eh, they like trade this it's not really yeah the juiciest information it's a more of an encyclopedic thing that you can uh, look up later on they're nice for if you want to run the classic break into the noble campaign yeah, yeah. or noble villa which is a fantastic quest if you're in Waterdeep, your players have to do a break in and entering a b and e in at least one noble villa mm-hmm. i think not having one concrete pantheon that just includes all the major races you end up with stuff like this every time you go to a major city it's like and then there's the catch-all church for all the yeah. freaking losers who aren't humans <laughs> yep and it's like okay if you're gonna have an elf pantheon and a dwarf pantheon at least take the time to put their churches places <laughs> nope only in elf and dwarven places the uh, cities yes telbran nilarn most commonly known today as hurl blar corthin is a quiet man, small in stature, with pale skin and jet black hair. Why Why is he commonly known as that? That is the worst first name ever. Yeah. Don't call me Telbran. Call me Hurlblar. Hurlblar. His you hurling deep, some blar over there? His deep blue <laughs> eyes suggest a man who has seen almost everything and lived. Before the fall of Netheril, Telbran Nalar was a scholarly knave in the kitchens of Ensul Thrun, a quiet Nethery scholar of the relationship between the Weave and the forces of the natural world. As a jealous rival threw down his master's tower, after fleeing into the wilderness, Telbran survived using a spell he learned from the purloined tome of his master, Elsul's soul theft. In time, Telbran adopted the life of a traveling trader, using his magic to extend his life or eliminate foes as needed. As centuries passed, Talbran came to restrict his stole theft to evil arcane spellcasters who, in his view, preyed on others. Eventually, Talbran came to Waterdeep. Talbran changed names often to conceal his rise of wealth before settling on Rarath Craigsmere. His life took an unexpected detour when he met and married Salarma Meldart, an Athcatlan dressmaker. He opened Ragathan's Furriers, in time, the Craigsmeres grew very wealthy and influential, while Rarath retreated into the background, assuming the role of the aged family patriarch. When Salarma died, Talbran faked his own death. Soon after, retreating into a succession of shapes and identities, he moved from property to property, always watching over his descendants, while guiding them into the ranks of the city's nobilities. Talbran now views Waterdeep as a garden in need of tending and believes his killing of evildoers is simply a much-needed weeding. Cool uh, kind of antagonist that you can throw in. Yeah, yeah, this kind of like self-righteous antagonist. Yeah, I like the idea of someone who, um, maybe he could play that classic role of, like, his heart's in the right place, but he's, you know, going about this in a way that we gotta stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if he's seeing the city, that sentence there, um, a garden yeah. much in much need of weeding. That sounds like something that a villain would say. Yeah. And <laughs> right <laughs> to justify atrocious acts. And I think that that could be fun. You have an ancient Netherese wizard, mm-hmm. especially if you wanted to. I think wizards and spellcasters are fantastic antagonists to open up into a wider plot. Because yeah. we always think of them as, you know, behind the scenes, they're plotting and conniving and hoarding lore and information. So once you kill Telbrand, you can literally put anything in his house to open up into whatever you want mm-hmm. the next arc to be. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Here's my pitch. Telbrand, going back to Castle Ward episode, Telbrand is adamantly against the instation of a Thane Enclave. And is doing and like kills a Thean like worker a Thean uh, member in Waterdeep, and so like they're covering it up to hide it. And so you investigating this Thean die, find out about Talbrand, and he's plotting to like absolutely decimate the embassy. Like he wants them gone because they're all like they are the evil spellcasters. And so he's like the antagonist in the fact that like his actions are gonna start a war. Not in the fact that, like, it's nasty, you know, it's like he's doing good things, but it's like, yeah, it's gonna end up badly for everyone. I think he could also be an interesting recurring villain in the sense of mm. you could have him as a quest giver, yeah, and 
like the first handful of quests, even if you're running the campaign where you're part of the red sashes or you're part of the, what were we talking about? Oh, force gray, the force gray, right? Maybe you're running that campaign, but then this guy's giving Mm -hmm. you side quests. And at first they're stopping petty thieves. They're killing criminals, stopping, you know, a conjurer who's trying to summon something evil, sending you to the place to deal with the tortoise of the night, you know, little side quests that you're doing on the side while running force gray and then it can come to a head where yeah he starts asking you to fuck with the thay enclave and you're like "Mm." and then force gray also asks you to fuck with the thay enclave but in a different way and you're like oh shit we have to make a choice here now um (laughs) but slowly throughout this you drop Mm -hmm. hints and seeds that like tell brand's not a good guy and the more you work for him the more you're gonna fall down this hole of corruption and Mm. it can give an interesting head where it's like what are your players gonna do are they gonna Mm -hmm. stay with telbrin and his extreme ways or are they gonna you know realize that he's a villain and take him out also a good kind of goal like i don't know overarching goal if you have someone following like a calamvor or a raven queen say that his soul theft that keeps him alive keeps the soul in him to like give him energy so like he has all these souls that he's taken out of the natural order of things and like they want him gone yeah that could be a good hook too yeah maybe that um can be along the way one of the things you reveal for Mm. his villainy you know like halfway through the quest line you learn that he eats souls and he tries to justify it in some you know megalomaniacal insane way and you're like yeah yeah i mean i guess dude but kind of looking at you a little bit side-eye now yeah meredith's fine furs is the trusted selling house of the guild of furriers Salamest's Splendid Shoes and Boots is a frighteningly expensive shop for footwear, but their guarantees on craftsmanship bear up as well as their fashionable boots do. It is an official merchant of the Guild of Cobblers. Fallen Stars Fish is a small shop that sells fresh fish from the Sea of Fallen Stars. Many pay Gatos Philrock's exorbitant prices for clean and gutted fish apparently no more than hours old. Many whisper of magic gates that uh, let him travel to his mysterious suppliers i don't understand any other way he could get fish from that far yeah. away without a magic yeah game. yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they whisper of the obvious thing he must be doing <laughs> downy beard tobacconist is a small aromic shop uh, with a wide variety of pipeweed tobacco and snuff crow downy beard the halfling owner from lurin turns a good coin on his made-to-order wooden pipes on uh, with hand-carved crests and symbols on them Hurry at's fine pastries is a bustling place. Locals line up here when the smells tell them a fresh batch of something is ready for eating. Hurry at's place is known not just for sweets but for savory pastries, notably the bite-sized pie or the meatloaf. Among the sweets, the hand-sized almond and apple sugar tarts are especially fine. Bite pies made of pork, beef, or curried mixed meats and mixed fish bite pies. The meatloaf, or Harriet's original, is an egg-shaped stuffed roll as long as two man's hands full of, of a stir-fried mix of cooked vegetables and meats down with spicy mushroom sauce as visiting market vendors trot across the city to get. All of these wares are made for eating in the streets as one walks. Hurriat sells fine cloth belt towels for this purpose. Hurriat's food is a hearty treat not to be missed. And Ravalor, Rav, Belfil, and Lauren Belfil are the owners and proprietors of Belfil's Bottles and Exotic Wines and Cordials of Salmer Street, North Ward, and Waterdeep. This shop sells all manner of drinkables, rebottled from travel cakes and casts into the finest, most splendid-looking bottles Lauren can find or buy. Salmer can craft with these three lady gnomes who taught her glassblowing of Timber Duels Glasswares, Mendeavor Street, Seaward, Waterdeep. In the status conscious Waterdeep, the bottles, particularly if they look very expensive or are suitable for long-term use as decanters, are consistently strong sellers. They enable a shopkeeper or laborer with few coins to spare to bring a handsome gift for a feast or wedding without the gesture costing over much. Yeah, I think stuff like this is really nice for... Because, yeah, okay, we can... If you're listening and you really like the pie place, sh- sure, then the pie place can be a front for something or they have the information. Yeah. Same with this uh, Baffield's bottles mm-hmm. and exotic wines, you know? But I think more importantly than that, they're really nice for... Um, so when my party arrived in Valen, mm-hmm. they were instantly 
received by a raven that brought a message that when they opened it, it smelt of lavender. And they were invited to an occult gathering. And it said, costume and fine dress is encouraged. Hmm. Now, these, they looked around in their dirty plate mail and went, well, we don't have that. And so I had planned three shops that they could go to to try and get that. And I remember you all discussed, do we need to bring something? Do we need to bring like wine or something? And I think this is really good for that because it gives you a little list of places for your party to, you know, it's like, okay, so we're going to a gathering mm-hmm. and it's important we make mm-hmm. a good impression. Okay, well, yeah. um, Sigurd, you go to Hurriat's and get a fine pastry. Mm-hmm. And um, Klindor and myself will go to Baffel's bottles and exotic wines and we'll get a nice drink and then we'll meet back here and then we'll go to the tailors and it's just like see perfect now your party feels like they're actually i don't know role-playing mm-hmm. part of the city yeah makes it feel alive yeah it makes it feel alive and i i like it does i think really give a certain vibe to the north ward that most of the shops are like other than the food places they're kind of just luxuries you know like you could get the functioning items elsewhere this is where you go if you want something to just look a bit nicer to have a bit more of the status you know so if you're trying to rub elbows with nobles or the higher class then yeah you need to go here and not the clothing shop in like you know southern ward yeah and you don't want to go to sea ward or else you're going to be spending too much money exactly i saw a comic today where it was someone selling on the side of a road um, in D&D, it was a D&D comic, and the quote was, expensive enough to make you feel rich, cheap enough to remind you that you're not. <laughs> right. And I think that's yeah. perfect. That's exactly what this Bayfield's... Oh, yeah, Baffles Bottles, exactly that, yeah. Baffles <laughs> Bottles and Exotic Wines is saying here. And I feel like that's kind of... You could kind of give that mm-hmm. spin to the North yeah. Ward if you wanted to, you know? Expensive enough to make you feel rich, but cheap enough yeah. to remind you you're not. And that's I great. love that. It's great. I also think some advice that I think is great for running a city campaign, well, advice that I think is um, helpful, is if you're running Waterdeep, I think what I always try and do when I send my party to a city is, so you've got the wards. Not all city has such defined wards. Like when they were in Valen, there's sections of the city that are sectioned off, but they're not like wards like this because it's not such a big city. So in that case, just have kind of areas, sections. And in those, write a short list of sort of not random encounters, but random descriptions mm. so that you don't go, as you walk from Meridor's Fine Furs up the road to meet Telbran, the city is bustling and uh, alight with noise as it is midday and people are going to and from work. Cool, yeah, DM, we've heard that description 10 million times. I have given that description 10 million times when you were all in the city. That's the classic, you know, carts are going up and down the street and a town crier screams on the corner. Yeah, yeah okay, cool. But for the North Ward, also make sure to write, and as you turn the corner and walk down the street, you see a long line of people. They're all almost frothing at the mouth they look so hungry and you you can tell why just walking past you can smell this fantastic scent of flake pastry and pork it's oh the scent Mm -hmm. of it is just magnificent you know if you're gonna wait in that line you're gonna be waiting about two hours but you do notice the sign hurry ats for if you get a bit hungry later bam cool the north ward that section you walking from one place to the other mm-hmm. you don't even have to say anything else that yeah. right there the yeah. city is alive a maiden's tears no tavern in this ward competes in prices with those elsewhere drink is dear and rowdiness strongly discouraged nobles with a taste for brawling or danger walk to the more cellarly wards for their fun this place is named for the old sword coast legend it says that the best wine is the tears of a maiden who cries quietly when her suitor dies. Soft lighting, deftly quiet service, and curtain booths make this a perfect and popular place for meetings, both for private intrigue and encounters with ladies of the evening. Once you're seated, it is rare to even see other patrons, and the snoring betrays just how many unhappy nobles come here to drink zazur until they fall asleep. The tear is rated highly for its privacy and quiet, some will find it excruciatingly boring place to lift a cup. Um, real quick, Zazur is, I think it's a mint wine. It's a popular drink in Waterdeep, though. You'll hear it brought up a lot. It's a fortified sherry wine. Right. There you go. It has an orange color and an almost... What is that? An almondy scent. Oh, yeah, it's almond. And flavor. 
Oh, right. That was uh, it. Now, I can see, I, I see that you have an elf among your party. I should mention that, well, most elves find this distasteful. But this dry sparkle given to this, uh, mixed with the almond liqueur, is a major hit among, well, the halflings and the gnomes. And any human worth a damn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I googled yeah. it because I was like, "What is it?" It's 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 the ar- almond liqueur. Essentially, it's made by fortifying sleuth, a dry, sparkling white wine with an almond liqueur. So it's just mixing two other drinks, I guess. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> a reclusive adventuring group still active on the Savage Frontier. The Twilight Hunters also own a tavern on Nimbadar Street in North Ward. They, Nindabah. Nindabah. they help in the tavern's operations when they are in town, otherwise leaving it to relatives and hirelings. They spend much of their time north and east of the city, hunting monsters, resulting in many battle trophies that decorate the tavern, and other mysterious tasks that have many gossiping. All allegedly wear magic rings, although none can agree on what powers these rings command. The Gentle Mermaid, like the unrelated Blushing Mermaid Fest Hall in Dock Ward, the Gentle Mermaid is a place of luxury, offering no accommodation save for a few dungeon cells reserved for debtors, sharpers, or thieves. It does boast the largest and richest gambling rooms in all of Waterdeep, perhaps, in all of Faerun. Its large carpeted central gaming chamber has a soaring pavilion-like roof, through which slowly shifting lights play in a soft, continually changing show. The room holds two dozen or so circular cloth-covered tables where water deeps wealthiest play at dice and cards. The atmosphere here is refined, relaxed, and clean and free of danger. Many an old noble matron plays solitaire or two dowagers may sit and gossip, sip their favorite drinks, and both play solitaire. The mermaid prides itself on serene luxury, creating a home that nobles will prefer to their own. Unpleasantness of any sort is stamped out swiftly and ruthlessly, and the wealthy are encouraged to spend much time losing their money at the gambling tables as they wish. The less wealthy are encouraged to drift about watching before being deftly chosen by escorts who steer them upstairs to a lounge where each guest can choose companion to while away the pleasant time with. The gentle mermaid passes on from the previous owner to Xanathar, operating under the guise of a traveling merchant. Xanatha. Xanatha. So I think a uh, fantastic character idea here, or at least one that I would be interested in playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my next character would be a rogue because I'm playing a swords bard right now. That's pretty much just a full caster rogue. Right. But I've been side-eyeing some rogue subclasses. Mm-hmm. And I think this would also work for a warlock. Right. You could get Mask of Many Faces mm-hmm. and it would work. But so um, you broke out of that dungeon cell right. in The Gentleman. Oh, that's cool, that's cool. That's, that's the story. You're, uh, you're addicted to gambling. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a, a wise kraken rogue, or it doesn't matter what your personality is, but you're, you're a rogue who, you know, you're trying to do right, mm-hmm. but you're, you've got this gambling addiction and you kind of maybe think the world owes you something. Right. So you're okay with your sticky fingers. But so you get hung up in this cell Mm -hmm. and uh, you escape. And now you just need to be careful. Like it's just you're you're not running away or anything. It's just you're always got your hood up when you're in the North Ward. Maybe I would probably play you even have like a mask that you wear. If you're a warlock, you can use the Mask of Many Faces invocation. And um, I think that could be really fun, especially with the connection to the Xanathar Guild. Because one day, one day they come and find you. Mm -hmm. And you do this big dash chase away and... You know, once they catch you, they're like, "Hi, oi there, Riper. Look, we don't we we don't mean any harm. We if we wanted to throw you back in the cell, we could have thrown you back in the cell weeks ago. Mm-hmm. What we want is an offer to pay off your debt if you give us a little bit of help." And you're like, "Ah, I've been trying to get out of this life." <laughs> ah, it's great. It's great. I love it. <laughs> and and I think yeah, I think that'd be such a fun way to connect you to the city. Mm-hmm. Not only do you owe people money, but you actively escaped their weird little dungeon yeah. thing. And so they're like, they're looking for you, but you don't want to leave the city or anything. And the city's big enough that you can hide from them. Yeah, it's great. I think that that would be one aspect of a backstory, not a whole backstory, but it'd be a really good but way definitely, to... But definitely, definitely good piece, like definitely a good thing to add in. Yeah, I also think so whenever cities give us these, you know, the Twilight Hunters and stuff, mm. it's like, how are, we, how are we supposed to use these? Wow, there's an adventuring party that's better than us. I think there's two decent ways. If you're using Waterdeep as a hub and you're sending your party out mm-hmm. of Waterdeep a lot and they always come back for downtime, then I think it'd be good that once you get to level five or something, they become your rivals. Right. 
Yeah. You you take a quest, you go do the quest, and on your way back, you run into them, and they're like, ah, oh, god damn it, where are you coming from? Oh, seriously, the high forest. Did you take did you take Throlon's job? We were about to do Throlon's job. Who are you? You know, when you become you start battling over adventure contracts. But I think a better thing is they go on a contract and they never come back. Yeah. Yeah. Like put in word of them, get your party to go to their bar one time or twice or whatever, but just mention it's there. And then, yeah, the the news when the town crier says that they are gone missing, then it's like, ooh. Just have them. Like, that means something. Just have them walk by. You know, they party doesn't even need to go to their bar. They show up in the broadsheet because they've come back with the head of a, I don't know, I'm drawing a blank on creatures here. They come back with the head of a basilisk. So they're in the broadsheet. They walk down the street and people are stepping aside and venerating them as they walk past. And whoever has high passive perception or whoever specifically says, I want to hear what the crowd are saying, gets wind of, I hear they got magic rings. Oh, I hear at least each one of them has one or two magic rings. What, what can they do? And then, you know, a whole bunch of just random rumors about what the rings might do. And then, yeah, later in the campaign, they die. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the party goes, oh, shit, we want those magic rings. Yeah, let's get <laughs> Several tales cling to the mermaid involving guests who have mysteriously disappeared and a few lucky winners who staggered out burdened by many gold pieces. The two most interesting tales are also the darkest, the death card and the haunted chessman. The death card is still drawn from time to time, though no staff member ever remembers putting it in a deck, nor has it a place in any game. It is thought to be a result of an ancient wizard's curse, and consists of a card that appears in any deck used in the mermaid. Its face consists of a laughing skull on a black field. A chilling laugh is heard when the card is uncovered, and a spectral coward figure rises up from the card, flying about and swinging a scythe. It attacks the beings who drew the card, and its weapon can slay. The touch of almost any spell make it and the card disappear. The watch wizards are always alert for the appearance of this hood death. The haunted chessmen are now destroyed or hidden away. They are set pieces of unknown origin, used in a strange game brought to Waterdeep by the wizards who learned it. Realm's lore generally attests on other worlds. These chessmen move around the board in their own accord when unattended. In their own air games, captured pieces topple over and change form to resemble living folk whose deaths they foretold. What animates these grim gaming pieces and where they are now, none can say or will say. Oh man, okay, so uh, this thing isn't gone. Whatever. Right. Why is it gone? That's stupid. Don't tell us about it if it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't animated in years. Right. They have it in the bar. It's a big thing. People come. They maybe they don't play chess with it. Maybe it costs a lot of money to play chess with it. Either way, it's there, and it's a kind of a tourist attraction almost. But it hasn't moved in like a decade. Right. Right. One day it does. Mm, yeah. And one day, let me click on a random manner here. One day, Lord Mercloche dies on the chessboard. Yeah. And everyone goes fucking wild. What's going to happen? Lord Mayor Clush can't die. And uh, your party gets contracted as bodyguard yeah. to stop the prophecy from happening. Of course, they can't stop the prophecy from happening. And it unravels into something wider. And then now the chessboard keeps going. Right. Until eventually one of your own party members Shows is up. foretold to die. Very cool. Yeah. That's a freaking sweet thing. Of course, someone's behind it. Yeah. It's not just actually animated itself. Someone is doing this to wreak havoc. But that's so cool. I think maybe instead of being like lost, you could say that like a noble of Waterdeep bought it for their private collection. And then like they bring you in because they're like, I bought this as a curio. Like it hasn't done anything since I bought it. I thought it was useless. But then like, you know, it foretold their death or something, you know? Yeah, I think that could definitely be cool. But uh, what I was kind of imagining is um, your players are walking down the street. Right, and they hear and it. Someone, someone goes running on a horse, and they're like, hear ye, hear ye, the chessmen have moved! Right. The chessmen have moved! Okay, yeah, yeah. And the party is... <laughs> The party is like, what the fuck is that? And they run to this place and like the whole city have gathered to watch the chess match. Yeah. And once the piece dies and turns into a member of the city nobles and falls over, everyone goes silent. And you see across the crowd, Lord Merkolosh is there, white as stone. Yeah. And he throws a fit and starts screaming at what kind of sorcery is this? This will not hold. This is defamation of character. You know, and everyone like I think that scene would be really cool. Yeah. Don't you think? That's true. That's true. Yeah. And then that's very cool. I like just both these. The death card's very cool too. Oh, the death card. My favorite part of the death card is okay. So if you have um, 
and I think this is a classic archetype. We've had two characters with it already. If you have a character that has anything to do with either playing cards or tarot cards, mm. yeah, give this quest to them. Mm. But when they win the quest, you don't kill this creature from the tarot card. You or this playing card, you dominate it, and it becomes a magic item. Yeah, that's cool. Where you know, once per day, you can throw the card on the ground and it summons this creature. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. I like that a lot. The Guild of Glassblowers, Glazers, and Speculum Makers, Masters based in the House of Crystal, Guild of Apothecaries and Physicians, Masters are based out of the House of Healing Hands, Numir's Nemer Sar Sentir was a rambectious elf owner of Sentir's Tapestries and Draperies, Ormashir Morhelander, Ormashir Malhler, fucking, this is so hard. <laughs> Okay, please don't edit this one out. This, for everyone listening, this is, I think, my only criticism. Well, no, we've been criticizing the Forgotten Realms this whole time. But yeah. my biggest criticism, because I, I love the Forgotten Realms. We're doing this podcast. Yeah. But my biggest criticism of the Forgotten Realms has got to be the naming conventions. Yeah. What the fuck is this? For people listening, it's it's Ormseer with two eyes. Yeah. Sure, but then it's M R H U L A E D I R Hraladir. Hraladir. Like Hraladir. I I don't know. Are we supposed to pronounce that H? I don't know. Hraladir was an elf owner of the tireless turning wheel and caravan curios from all far Faerun of Jolthun Street, North Ward, Waterdeep. Mulhiram Harps is by no surprise owned by a harper and a harper mean place in the North Ward. It's got to be Muladir. The H has got to be silent. Yeah. And Obelis, the only Bariel, is a dealer in magic curios whose shop since destroyed uh, in a sorcerer's duel, though Obelis still deals in enchanted oddities wow. of his lodgings in Shield Street. Give your party a reason to buy a tabard for some yeah. reason. Just little shops here and there. These are kind of ones. Or tapestry. We need drapes. Yeah, these are just like, I think they were printed in a dragon magazine. There's just a bunch of these. Or like a side, I don't know, but there's just a bunch of these like, ah, Elves of Waterdeep. And so it had a lot of these right. shops uh, owned by elves. But yeah, it's just kind of focusing in on the... The elven population, which is here. It, it, it might not come up ever, but that's here. The Misty Beard is an interesting place that stands on the corner hard by the east wall of the city, where its noise and crowding creates as few problems with a fine neighborhood as possible. Its signboard depicts... Okay, so... What's that? Real quick. Earlier in the episode, the, the write-up says that the Raging Lion is as close to the wall as you can get. Yeah. The misty beard is literally touching the wall. So close. <laughs> like it's 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 got to be at least sixty feet closer to the wall than the raging lion. <laughs> so the raging lion's claim to fame is a lie. Lie. Its signboard depicts a laughing bearded sailor with beads of water glistening a rainbow all over his beard. Minor enchantments make these droplets gleam, sparkle, and change hue from time to time. The beard is famous up and down the Sword Coast because it's staffed largely by exotic and monstrous beings from all over the realms. Halflings, those are folk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. The Mike first one is halflings. It's it's yeah. it's it's staffed by largely exotic and monstrous beings, including halflings. Halflings. Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> Lizard folk kill moulins, micronids, fairy dragons, spectators, and even in the kitchens and cellars, skeletons and zombies under the command of other beings. There are also shape-shifting and illusion-using creatures on staff. As one regular patron put it, you never know just what you'll see, and for many it's the only time they'll ever likely to see some of these creatures. Their presence attracts a lot of thrill-seekers, and many visitors of the creature's own kind. All are welcome, in an easy truce enforced by the magical powers of the wand-wheeling owners. The interior of the misty beard is a well-lit jumble. Mm -hmm. Well, real quick, before this one. Myconids, fairy dragons, you know, skeletons, zombies, those are easy lizard folk. Kilmuli are small little fae with a trunk. Uh, Okay. Like, they kind of look like a really, really wretched goblin with arms that are too long, and then their nose is, like, a very short, like, anteater trunk. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. And they have a... I think they, like, eat 
Um, they're also super thin and their head is too big. And I think they like eat ticks ah. off humanoids ah. and stuff. Weird. They like, they, I don't know. They have a, they like to hang out around bigger humanoids. Um, they have stats in uh, Mordekainen's Fiendish Folio, a little extra book that you can get on whatever. It's a Wizards of the Coast official, but it's like a little extra right. that was for charity. Um, and then spectators was the other one spectator is a tiny beholder right 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 more, more or less not quite a tiny beholder but pretty much tiny beholder with like four eyes and they can be a familiar mm. but you have to find them and convince them to be your familiar you can't summon them but once they accept you get all the benefits of a familiar so you can see through their eyes and stuff that's cool but it does say that they make bad familiars because they like eating children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bit of an issue so, uh, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it'll be a little hard to go adventuring with a spectator. Sorry, the spectator is the medium beholder. Uh, okay. And it's the, ga- the gazer was the one I was right. thinking of, which is the baby beholder. Right, right. So like if a gazer is Charmander and a beholder is Charizard, then a spectator is Charmander. Right, right. That makes sense. The weird little middle child. The interior of the Missy Beard is a well-lit jumble of booths and cozy chairs salvaged from sails all over the city. The rooms all open into a central well where various stairs curve and zigzag up and down and winged waiters dart from bar to table with single glasses. The waiters are sprites who are hired here for month-long shifts, by which time they are usually sick of the city and foot home. The half-elf mages who own the place are two wand-wielding sisters, Aliet and Vizdara Tuzuntuzun, whose once ran the Black Griffin Inn in Altrael. Their monstrous friends and visitors are not welcome in that city, so they sold out and came to the cosmopolitan Waterdeep, where they soon tired of making beds, so they turned their inn into a tavern. The barkeeper at the Beard is Monzrim Marlpar, the dignified, fearless lizardfolk of unusual height and intellect. He was an outcast from his kin in the Marsh of Chalember because of those features. He is usually to be found deep in conversation with a beholder-like, deadly-looking spectator floating behind the bar. Thalmin Zalam, who is something of a philosopher and sometimes drifts out over the rooftops of the city on dark nights to spy on the endless entertaining doings of humans. Some nights, things turn into raunchous sing-alongs, and as one Waterdavian says, until you've seen a spectator and a fairy dragon dancing on the air together and struggling to harmonize well, you have not seen Waterdeep. <laughs> I love that. I love this place. Yeah, very fun place to send your party just for some downtime. Fun times. I think it'd be fun to say you have like one of those players, a rogue or someone who has a, an elf or something who's like, the party goes to bed and like, I'm going to go out at nighttime and do a little something or do a little quest or just to like fuck around. And everyone's like, okay, fine, whatever. Have them go out and like roll perception and see the spectator flying over the rooftops and like, what? A spectator? And like, maybe they wake up everyone like, I saw something like we have to go check and you go and they run after, do a little skill challenge to capture it. And then like, maybe they like grab the spectator, like bring the spectator down or like fight and people look out their windows like, oh, is that Thorman? Like, why are you attacking Thorman? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Or maybe... Maybe he's like following you around, yeah. uh, you know, as you're doing your business. And it's just like you, as you walk by the glass of this one building, you think you see a weird reflection and you turn around and this guy's been like following you around. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Ignore me. Your humanoids are so interesting. <laughs> just, just act like I'm not here. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, I'm just observing. Just observing. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you're. You're a little noticeable, though. Yeah. I feel like you're going to blow my cover. Oh, should I go higher? (laughs) Also, just a great place if you do, like, I like playing monstrous races. If you have a monstrous race PC, let them come here and just have, like, the best of times. Like, no one's treating them weird. They're just, like, totally at home here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good spot, too. Um, You could be an ex-employee of this place who got tired of working in a tavern Mm. and you're trying to cut it out big as an adventurer now. Yeah. Or you're an ex-employee who, you know, you're looking for grand and glory. So you joined the um, Red Sashes if you're doing that campaign. Or you awoke one day with your magic powers and 
so you joined Force Gray if you're doing that campaign, or you're just someone who like moved here with these people, you know, either on their way from Elturel to Waterdeep, or you were in Elturel with them and you were like, yeah, this place sucks. And so you moved with them and you don't actually work at the bar. You just like know them. And that's why you, that's why you live in Waterdeep. You just kind of migrated with them, immigrated with them. Here. You immigrated and with them so... and you're going to college. You're going to College of New Olam <laughs> and like, you're like, hey guys, let's go back to like, hang out with my friends. I live in this bar. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I love that. Yeah, so I think this just I think this is just a good connection for any kind of uh if you're playing one of the more monstrous races. Yeah. Yeah. One of the more exotic races. Ten out of ten. The Galpi Minotaur is widely known among travelers. This inn has begun to slip in service, relying on its name and convenient location for market vendors and shoppers to keep its room full. And they are full. It's rare to find lodgings here because the keepers insinuated the city's first system of advanced bookings. Inside this place is all bustle. Aaron boys and newslungs, youths who arrive every hour or so for with a handful of coppers from the innkeepers to bow out current news to all of the salon, are always coming and going. Merchants full of their own importance are always striding in all directions at once as if serving made, uh, as one serving made, dryly put it, and mutter of business dealings fills the entire ground floor. And... The grinning lion is tucked away inside the block of homes, businesses just north of the Big Bend in the Golden Serpent Street. This place, adorned with battle trophies, or fake battle trophies, from all of Faerun, is as ruckus as taverns get in North Ward. An old joke claims that the Riven Shield Shop sends all shields beyond repair here to hang on the walls. The music is loud, with the men and women dancers frantically styled and revealing mock armors, swaying and pirouetting among the tables. Real, if broken, weapons hang on the walls everywhere, so disputes are swiftly discouraged by the bouncers. Food consists only of platter of fried onions and eels. It'd be a fun place um, if you're playing a sword bard or a swashbuckler mm-hmm. rogue. This was your yeah. day job. Yeah. <laughs> You were just one of the entertainers that fake sword fought all along the tables. Um, swashbuckler rogue, good because of the charisma and performance checks. Uh, swords bard, well, needs no explanation. I guess you could also be a, a valor yeah. bard. Yeah. Would work too. They are both martial bards. I think that would be a fun. This was your day job, or this is still your day job, and you know one day you go in there halfway through the campaign, and the owner is just like, "Oh, you haven't showed up to your last full shifts." And you're like. <laughs> Well, I've been doing some pretty hefty stuff. And it's like, well, I don't care about the hefty good work you're doing. You're supposed to come to your shifts. <laughs> Tessaya over there has been performing alone for weeks. Do you know how awkward it is to have a sword fight with yourself? <laughs> Did you even think about Tessaya? You're like, well, no, I'm sorry, Tessaya. And she's like sitting over there and she's like, it's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> That's good. I do like that. The Silent Shield is named for its secrecy. It offers secure private storage of items or folk who are trying to hide, including adventurers or their deceased, sick, wounded, or dead companions. Corpses are kept on ice. The others are tended carefully by the proprietors. They don't offer shelter to obviously monstrous beings. Drows and Yanti are fine, but not mind flayers. But a lot of human adventurers owe their lives to this establishment. Two sisters, Sambrin and Anne Silvlar Winkwinter, run the Silent Shield and rule a staff of grizzled ex-adventurers of various races, classes, and ages. The sisters are in turn watched over and advised by a family of ghosts. The spirits of their great-grandfather, Feldrin Winkwinter. Feldrin, a warrior and adventurer of life, spies on clients and those who approach the shield, and has been known to attack would-be thieves. I think this would be a good place if, um, make the ghost a bit more mystical, like a poltergeist. Like he's not, you can't just talk mm. to him, you know? Yeah. So that this would be a good place for a, if you have, you know, like a spirit bard or any kind of, uh, kind of spooky mm. occult player PC. Um, this would be a good place to go and maybe hold yeah. a bit of a seance to talk to Feldrin Winkwinter, who maybe, uh, was bared witness to something. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, if you have doctor, or a character, not even necessarily a doctor, but a character that has invested in the medicine stat. This would be a really good place uh, mm. to gather clues. Maybe they can come here and look over a corpse and, you know, do a little bit of an autopsy mm. for whatever quest you're running. And I think that that would probably yeah. make a character proficient in medicine pretty happy to be able to do yeah. that, you know? Yeah, I like that a lot. 
it also makes sense. It, I don't I don't think it would feel like, you know, being like, here you go, medicine character. <laughs> here's your here's your plot coupon. Do your thing. Are you happy now? Like, I think you could make that feel quite natural because that's a normal part of investigatory yeah. work. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And it's a little more it's a little more fanciful than just there's a corpse on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> you know, someone tells you you have to go to the silent shield. The corpse has been moved. There. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. Like the corpse has been moved there, hidden there. And also, I mean, sometimes you just got to keep your party members body somewhere. <laughs> The yep. Silent Nine is a group of nine silver and gold dragons who long ago modified the Dragon Ward on Waterdeep to make magic pass tokens to allow them in the city. They have kept to themselves in Waterdeep for decades, assuming human forms and keeping active two or three personas in order to amass wealth without scrutiny, pursue various hobbies they find over the years, and to die and continue living on. They are all friends, but other than that, they do not share a common goal. L'Oreal Silverhand knows of these dragons and leaves them be, telling anyone who might gain knowledge of them from old texts or hearsay to forget the subject. And Imbrinth M. Thuman, a Waterdeep historian and collector of broadsheets, is one person who discovered this secret, but knows better than to tell another soul. He will sell anyone other bits of knowledge for the right price. Yeah, I mean, definitely make one of the party members friend a yeah. dragon. yeah. I, I, it'd be fun yeah it'd be fun whether it ever comes up or not i think they would be cool too if i know you wanted to make bohemet in your world or a big sure. player in your world to make them like have their little like maybe they they have a little shrine to bohemet and they're like you know the clergy of bohemet in uh water deep so uh yeah yeah i think something that's also cool is they either have to have a magic portal or they have to spend more of their time their horde can't be in the Yeah, city. right, right, yeah. It can't. Because the thing is, is that the dragons have regional effects. And I nothing in the lore that I have read says they can turn their regional effects hmm. off. So if their horde... And I don't know if regional effects go from the horde or if it goes from where they spend most of their time. I want to say the horde makes sense because Fizzbands yeah. talks about how the dragon's horde is in itself a magical thing. Hmm. But I think it also makes sense for where they spend most of their time. But I think that can add a really interesting dynamic because it means they have to be living in the city with their horde far away yeah. or they have to be spending half their time out of the city. Mm -hmm. And I think it could make an interesting quest line. Maybe one of these guys decides, fuck it. And part of the city is going haywire because all of a sudden the regional effects of a gold dragon, which is a fire dragon, have started springing up yeah. in the city and everyone's freaking out. And he's staunchly against moving. He's old, right. he's ancient, he's, you know, 2,000 years old. I'm not going anywhere, I'm old. Just move down the street. Oh, your, your house got broken because of some fire. He has 10,000 gold. You know, I, I just think, and then that's kind of just the, uh, what, do you, yeah. what do you do? <laughs> you know, he's not a bad guy. You don't want to kill him. He's just old. He's tired. He doesn't want to, he's gotten tired of going in and out of the city. Um, I think that that could be a fun little uh, quest that doesn't involve just murder yeah. the thing. I find it funny too that they're in North Ward. I feel like it was they were in Sea Ward way back when, but along some death and rebirth, they're like, oh, I guess we need to be new money <laughs> to be believable. <laughs> we gotta move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I like it. I, I like that they're around and that it's not they're not here in some great evil goal maybe though if you wanted to have them play like as i said moment or um with old gnarl bones trying to like get maybe they're against old gnarl bones like they're they being dragons themselves they're really on the lookout for dragons yeah starting issues in water deep so they're the ones who are like the patrons to to stop her forces in water deep yeah because i think they could create interesting quest lines but i'm a big i think they could be antagonists but they would be have to be in my opinion antagonists that are still good guys they're just antagonists to the party yeah because i know 5e is moving away from the whole alignment thing but fizzbands still keeps the division between dragons and i like the metallic chromatic division so like these dragons should be good people mm -hmm. but just because they're good people doesn't mean they're not like they're still megalomaniac money hoarders yeah <laughs> You know, just because you're a chaotic, good megalomaniac oligarch doesn't mean you're not a ridiculous oligarch hoarding all the money. Yeah. So, you know, but I think, yeah, I think they could open up a lot of interesting quests. Maybe 
you know, something is threatening their horde, but they don't want to reveal who they are, so they need to hire adventuring parties. That could be a fun kind of lower level quest, you know? Mm. Um, they don't want to reveal their secret, but someone needs to go stop the orcs that are getting pretty close to where my horde is. Yeah, or maybe in their Force Grey, or not Force Grey, I don't know. It'd be Lariel, so maybe it wouldn't be Force Grey, but uh, if, if you have an or- Order of Magistrates or something, you get like. Or maybe it's a red sash, just so so no one knows about it. But you get the kind of thing down the line to like get someone to stop talking about something. Like their their mouth is running too much, and it's not like kill them. It's like just get them to stop talking about it. Yeah. And then you're told to like just just don't worry about it. Just forget about it. And then maybe on somewhere along your adventure, you need some dragon knowledge. So then you actually go down. But for a while, you freak. Yeah. You're like okay. Yeah. yeah. I know this happening, but best best not to turn over that stone. Yeah, I think they. Uh... And dragons always just open up a lot of interesting doors. Yeah, exactly. No matter where they are. <laughs> Very true. So we're going to cover Trollskull Alley. I did not write any like kind of player spoilers here, but we will talk about like the people you meet in Trollskull Alley. So if you want your players or yourself to go into this area completely green, spoilers, you can stop the episode now. But yeah, we're going to talk about Trollskull Alley. Yeah, no spoilers for story, but spoilers for funky NPCs. Yeah. Trollskull Manor, which is a four stories tall, boasting balconies, a turret, and five chimneys, an abandoned building that is one of the grandest in Trollskull Alley. It is in the style of exposed wood frame and plastered white walls called Tudor on Earth. The inside has a fireplace running up for warmth and many taverns on the walls to hold that warmth. The Bent Nail is a small place with a small wooden sign above the shop's main door. It is bare except for a large bent nail sticking out of it. The front room contains displays of ornate wooden furniture, as well as selection of bows and crossbows. The wall behind the counter is lined with rows of finery. Telesolvanar, Tally Felbranch, the owner and chief artisan of the Bent Nail, is a male half-elf carpenter and woodworker. Steam and Steel... Steam and Steel is an indoor forge where metal, weapons, armor, and tools are made. The forge is owned and operated by a married couple, the fire genasi named Embrick and a water genasi named Avi. Both are members of the most careful order of skilled smiths and metal forgers. Avi is an armorer. He belongs to the splendid order of armorers, locksmiths, and finesmiths. Embrick tends the forge and is an expert weaponsmith. He claims descendants from the Ifrits of Kalmshan and is prone to extreme mood swings. Fela Lefalier is a herbalist and a member of the Guild of Apothecaries and Physicians. They operates out of this stately three-story townhouse, the third floor of which has been converted into a greenhouse. Its translucent glass walls allow anyone on the street to see the rainbows of flowers blossoming within. Fela Lefalier is an outgoing non-binary wood elf with long braided hair. Tiger's Eye is a private detective's business. It's unremarkable on the outside. Its only distinguishing mark is an orange and black sign featuring a cat's eye. Inside is a regal apartment dimly lit by flickering oil lamps. The door is locked, and visitors must knock or ring the bell before being let in. They are met by Vincent Trench, a human detective and owner of Tiger's Eye. He speaks concisely, dressed in a sharp suit, and smokes a slim pipe. And Booksworm's Treasures is a bookstore that is adorned with charming sign of a gold dragon curled around the treasure hoard of books and scrolls. Inside, the shop is decorated with beautiful hardwood, and the earthy scent of old books permeates the air. Library fills two floors of this three-story building, and it somehow seems to contain more shelves in the building should be able to hold. The shop is managed by a short dragonborn of gold dragon ancestry named Rachel the Page Turner, who lives on the third floor. Rochelle, a member of the Watchful Orders of Magistrates and Protectors. Uh, he can sell you up to second or third level spell slot scrolls, which I think is cool. Oh, very cool. Very cool. For Trollskull Alley, I will say, mm-hmm. if you're running Waterdeep Dragon Heist or you're just sending your players there, yeah. give Vincent something to do. <laughs> there, the second my players heard that there was a private detective, they instantly went to him and was like, we need to hire him for something, but we don't know what. Yeah. And Steven ended up hiring him to just kind of find rumors. Yeah. But like have him doing something that he needs the party's help with or have the party have something to hire him for because 
there's no way they're not going to go to Vincent Trench immediately and be like, yeah. well, grizzled detective, yes. Yeah, yeah, what's up? <laughs> also, uh, my favorite part of this lore is, you know, it's from a recent book because it's just like, the lore is like, Festhold, full of sex and naughty women, old man, ghost, old man, and then you get here and it's just like queer stuff. Yeah, non-binary, gay, gay lovers who are gay Nazis, couple, dragonborns. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it's just like that's that's. I like it. I think it's That'd good. It's, good. it's a good mattering of uh, representation without all of them being. Uh, yeah, I like it too. Like I, I like it. I think it's good. Um, I will say that if your players are looking for something and they happen to be in this neighborhood, uh, armor or weapons, with his mood swings, Embrick, mm-hmm. uh, and the water genasi, you have to have the fantastic scene where Embrick uh, is getting upset. And so they're, they make weapons, right? Yeah. So there's the point in weapon making where you, Stephen, what is it called again? You dip quench. it in the water. You quench the yeah, sword. You quench, you quench the sword. So Embrick is throwing a fit about something and Avi walks up and quenches him. Yeah. Because one's fire and one's water, yeah, yeah, right? Totally. So it's like, especially, especially if you play the scene so that the party walks in, Embrick is throwing a fit, but the first thing he does is quench his sword right. that he's doing. He puts it in the water and it goes as he's throwing his fit and then he throws it on the ground or something and then avi walks up and does the exact thing to him with uh, his water hands and i think that that's a adorable scene that when we played out that scene i remember specifically damien loved it yeah i love it too it's very good that's it for our journey today remember a date in the north ward is sure to impress we'll leave your pockets way more light Next episode, we'll cover the Sea Ward. And that will be, well, the last ward in the wall. I want to say, I, I really want to say, yeah, Sea Ward, last ward. Eh, there's technically the Field Ward, so whatever. <laughs> Thank you, Valeria, for joining me. Yeah. And blend us for theme music, Around the Fire. You can find them on Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and follow at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great long rest. Bye.